John 8, 1 through 12. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Then they said, they said this, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning from the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman... Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. For the gift of salvation, for your Holy Spirit that indwells in us when we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Thank you for being a Father who loves us, provides for us, cares about us, and knows us. Thank you for the privilege to be in your house today, to worship you, to sing praises to you, to open up your word, to hear the Holy Scriptures, Lord, proclaimed. And fathers, I speak on the outside. I pray that your Holy Spirit speak to hearts on the inside and move in our lives as only you can. We love you, Lord, and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't this a powerful scripture? What a powerful story. In fact, I want you to visualize this. So I have something on the screen at this time for you.
Wow, what an amazing picture. You know, we could almost just have the invitation right now and I not preach my sermon. Don't worry, that's not going to happen. You're like, oh man. Guys, when we see Jesus, it is, it is so amazing that in spite of all the things going on around him, that he can focus on us and meet our needs. Backing up in this scripture that I share with you this morning, Jesus is constantly bombarded by people. People are just constantly needing something from him. And that can be overwhelming. The religious leaders are already plotting to kill him. They're trying to find something to accuse him of so that they can take his life. But with all this going on, all these people needing things and people trying to kill him, he can stop, he can focus, and he can give his attention to one individual and meet their needs. That's an amazing Savior. Guys, when, when we turn on the news, it's crazy what's going on in the world right now. All these things spinning out of control. But guess what? We need to stay focused on our Savior. We can stay focused on him because Jesus is the life giver. That's what I've titled my sermon today. He's the life giver. So our mission is just to get people to Jesus, even in the chaos and the turmoil. Get people to Jesus. So today, and from this scripture, we're going to learn what we must be aware of to receive eternal life. First of all, a trap was set. There was a trap set. How many of you guys have heard about my son Isaac's pet? All right, raise your hand if you've heard about Isaac's pet. Where is Isaac? Is he skipping church? No, he's helping in kids' church. Okay, it's a good thing. I thought he was skipping out of here. So Isaac's got this pet. Does anybody know the pet's name? I heard it. You said it. Say it loud. Gidget. Yes, Gidget. Isaac has a pet sugar glider. There, there she is right there. There's old Gidget. Kind of looks like a combination between a possum, a flying squirrel, and a monkey. You know, all mixed up in one. She came from Australia, and I, you know... God made some really interesting creatures in Australia and New Zealand. That's where they're from. She actually came from northwest Arkansas, but, you know, her ancestors came from Australia. So Isaac loves Gidget. I mean, they are tight, right? That's, that's his critter, and Gidget thinks Isaac is his pet. I mean, it's, it's this great friendship that they have. Well, we live out in the country, and I don't know about y'all, but our boys, they have this inability to close doors, I'm sure that y'all's kids or grandkids never do that, right? Leave doors open. I'm like, guys, can you not close a door? Can any of y'all have that issue ever? When does that change? You know, when does that change? So once in a while, you know, living out in the country, door gets left open, and a mouse might find its way into the house. Now, Joy's a great housekeeper. Don't think bad of her. She cleans house constantly, okay? But we had this mouse. Joy said, there's a mouse in the pantry. I'm like, all right, because now I get, to, you know, we're going to trap this mouse. We're going to hunt him down. All right, so we get some traps, and we get them set, and, you know, it's time to go to bed. And I just know, man, the morning I'm going to come in there, we're going to have the mouse. He is going to be in the trap. And so, you know, I was kind of excited about it. So uh, we go to bed. Well, Jude's room is between the pantry and the kitchen and our bedroom. And being five years old, actually four at the time, he has this habit often of finding his way into our room in the, in the middle of the night. And so... In the middle of the night, Jude comes into our room, and he's kind of he's out of it, you know, and he's not making a lot of sense. He's kind of mumbling, half mumbling, half crying, and he's like, Gidget's in the pantry, and we're like, what? And, you know, I'm like, he must be dreaming. Or, oh, and I thought, oh, it's the mouse. We caught the mouse, and it was probably, you know, doing its death scratch after it got caught in the trap, and uh, he probably heard that and thought it was Gidget. 
So I'm like, I'm going to go see if we got the mouse. So we get Jude settled down, and I go in the pantry. I turn the light on, and there's Gidget right there. Big eyes looking straight at me on top of a box. He's trying to chew into some kind of box of cereal, okay? She needs some food. Maybe I forgot to feed her that night. So there she is, and I look below her, and there's the trap. There's a mouse trap right below her. And she's not much bigger than a mouse. I mean, this trap, if it got her, she's a goner. Okay, she's gone. And then, let me just tell you, Isaac will never recover. All right, it will be terrible. So Isaac owes Jude big time because he saved Gidget's life. Can you imagine the next morning? Isaac comes into the pantry to get some breakfast. There's Gidget caught in the trap. That would have been bad, right? Luckily, she was safe. But guys, today on a serious note, I want to let you know and I want you to be aware of a trap has been set for you. You have an enemy named Satan and he wants to trap you in sin and bondage. In this story, Jesus had, had been all night praying and, and connecting with God at the Mount of Olives. That was his place that he went to get away from the busyness of life and the pressure of life where he could get connected with God and get re-energized and refreshed and restored Early the next morning, he goes to the temple. That's what Jesus did often. And the people knew that. So as soon as he got to the temple, the Bible says all the people, all the people in that area, they came to hear him. So now this massive congregation has gathered to hear Jesus teach and preach the word. You know, people constantly bombarded Jesus. Nobody draws a crowd like Jesus. You know why? When God collides with humanity, people take notice. Now, some people, they come to Jesus out of curiosity. Some people come to Jesus seeking truth. Some people come as a skeptic, trying to disprove him. The Pharisees and the scribes came to trap Jesus. They rudely interrupted his sermon. Bringing this woman caught in adultery. They set her in front of the entire congregation. Making no doubt for a very awkward and uncomfortable situation. They humiliated her. This woman had a death sentence on her life at this point. According to Jewish custom. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And they went on to say, Now Moses in the law commands us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Here's what I want you to understand this morning. They weren't asking Jesus' opinion because they valued what he had to say. They didn't care about this lady. They had set a trap for Jesus. They wanted to accuse him of something. You see, they were treating this woman just like an object as she'd been treated probably most of her life. And so now they're coming to trick Jesus. See, the law, Jewish law required that in the case of adultery... The man and the woman both be stoned to death. That's in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They only bring the woman to Jesus. They don't bring the man. Okay, So automatically, the religious leaders had violated God's law by this trial. They weren't even following the law. They didn't care what the law said. They wanted to trick Jesus. And it was kind of a two-edged sword because if Jesus said, let her go free, then Jesus would be dismissing what? The law of Moses had said. But if he said she should be stoned or executed, then he was violating the Roman law because the Romans said a Jew did not have the power to execute anybody. They had to go to court before the Romans. 
So what's Jesus going to do? They're setting a trap for him. It's a lose-lose situation. Or so they thought. But here's what they didn't realize. Jesus is perfect. There's no sin in Jesus. He's all-knowing. He's our creator. You're not going to get him to mess up. These men came to trap, to hurt, and to destroy. This woman was trapped in a sinful life. Ironically, the religious leaders were trapped in their own self-righteousness. Jesus could not be trapped. The first step in receiving eternal life is to realize that we've all fallen into the trap of sin. We have an enemy who hates God. He hates us. His name is Satan, and he is out to destroy our lives. He sets traps for us, and he sets temptations for us. And he's trying to get our eyes off Jesus and get our eyes on ourselves and onto the world. And, and make no mistake about it, Satan is the master of setting traps. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And as Brother Will said before, and uh, Dave Watts said it the other night in the youth service, sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll take you farther than you want to go. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. That's what the devil does. He destroys lives. So be careful who you're spending your time with. Your closest friends better be strong believers in the Lord. And you better be praying every day for wisdom in your life. We have to walk in fellowship with Jesus. We have to be in the word and on our knees in prayer and connected with fellow believers and worshiping in God's house. Because if we're not, guys, guess what's going to happen? We're going to get pulled into the world. We're going to get caught in the traps that Satan lays for us. It's tough out there. So we got to be reminded weekly and daily who we belong to. And ask God for wisdom. Ask God to help you make good choices. Did you know one mistake can change your life? So ask God for help. We've all fallen into the trap. None of us are different. We've all fallen into the trap of sin. What are we going to do? Well, the second thing that I want to point out to you today, how we can have eternal life. Number one, realize there's a trap. But number two, the truth must be told. Have you ever heard the saying, the truth hurts? How many of y'all have heard that saying? Truth hurts. It hurts, right? We need to hear the truth. Are you with me? Okay, how many of y'all have you ever... Actually, don't raise your hand. I don't want to incriminate you, but just see if you relate to this story. You've been out in public. You've been talking to people. You get back in your car. You look in the mirror, and you notice something's out of place. Maybe you have some food in your teeth, okay? And you're like, oh, man. Why didn't somebody tell me? Austin, why didn't somebody tell me? Are y'all with me? Huh? You're acting like that never happens to you. Yeah. Well, hey, guess what? Joy, she, she takes care of me. She'll, she'll look and she'll go, hey, psst. Now, she'll go, you got something in your teeth. So if y'all see me looking at Joy like this, <laughs> I'm not just being silly. She's making sure that I'm presentable for y'all. Okay? Now you know. Cat's out of the bag. So if you see that, you know what it is, okay? All right. Y'all act like this never happens to you. I'm amazed. Hey, we need to hear the truth, don't we? We need the truth to be told. Well, guess what Jesus does? He speaks the truth. He speaks the truth. The next part of the story is so interesting. Jesus, he didn't even act like he heard the accusers. They're like, what are you going to do, Jesus? And what does Jesus do? He stoops down and he starts to draw in the dirt or to write in the dirt with his finger. And we don't know if he was just scribbling or if he drew a picture or if he wrote words. We really don't know. 
We can guess. There's lots of things we could, we could speculate about that. Some people think, Bible scholars think, he was listing out the individual sins of these religious leaders they came to accuse. We don't know. Well, that would make the situation awkward, wouldn't it? If he starts writing their sins out in the dirt. But these guys are persistent. They just keep asking, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm like, man, now I can relate to that because, you know, how many of y'all have kids that are persistent or grandkids that are persistent and they know how to ask and they ask again and again, all right? Are y'all with me? Y'all relate to that sometimes, okay? We tell our kids it's not going to work. You just keep asking. It's not going to help your case. It's only going to make it worse, so quit asking. So finally, Jesus, he gives these guys what they're asking for and he raised himself up off the ground and then he said... He who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And you know, this is just purely me guessing. So I move over here, away from the pulpit. But just imagine, what if he had written in the dirt, guilty. The word guilty. Not only is the woman guilty, but he's pointing back at the religious leaders. You're guilty too. You're in the same boat as her. And then he stooped back down and he started scribbling in the dirt again. The Bible says these men were convicted in their conscience. It's kind of like Jesus just said, you want to know? Here it is. And when they heard it, it wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what, that was not the answer they were looking for. But that's how God is. He is all-knowing. So one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stone that they were armed with to, to kill this woman. And they went out. Because they all knew they were guilty of sin. Here's the truth, guys. It's easy by human nature to get critical of other people, right? It's easy to get negative. That's the easy thing to do. But we need to look in the mirror and we need to see our own guilt and our own shortcomings. Focus on yourself. What do I need to fix? What do I need to work on in my life? The Bible says before we point out a speck in a brother or sister's eye, look at the beam or the plank that is stuck in our own eye. Take care of your, your life. It's easy to condemn, but we need to remember, we're all guilty. And the Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags. You see, every one of us, we've sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory. And because of that, sin levels out humanity. We're all guilty. Nobody's getting into heaven by our own good works. Now, some sins have earthly consequences that are different than others. We get that. But guys, for eternity, sin's going to keep us out of heaven. If we don't do something about it. That is the truth. And you know what? When the truth of God collides with our hearts, there's conviction. And some people respond to that and they yield to that and they ask God to forgive them of their sins. But sometimes, you know what people do? They don't like it. They don't like to be told they're wrong. We don't like conviction. And I think that's why the world is so opposed to the gospel. The world will tolerate anything else. So much sin. And perversion. But yet the world will not tolerate the gospel. The world's opposed to Jesus. Because nobody likes to be wrong. But here's the truth. Jesus is our Savior. He's the only one who can forgive us of our sins. He's the only one who can give us eternal life in heaven. We can look to everything else. And be as good as possible. But it won't be enough. We will fall short. Make no mistake about it. We need a Savior. And sin is toxic to our souls and our minds and our hearts and our bodies. So that's why we can't just live any way that we want to live. We've got to strive to be surrendered to Jesus. 
Here's a newsflash. None of us are better than anybody else. Right? So when we're tempted to hurl stones of insult or negativity or criticism or hatred, remember, we're all guilty. We're all sinners. So instead of hurting, we need to help. Instead of knocking down, we need to pick up. Are you with me? Amen. So like this woman, like the religious leaders, we've all fallen into the trap of sin. But now we know the truth. Jesus came to set us free. And that brings me to the next point. If we're going to receive eternal life, we have to turn from our sin. We've got to turn from our sin. When my dad was a boy, I'm going to tell this story because dad's here. When he was a boy, he got to go on vacation to Yellowstone National Park. How many of y'all have been to Yellowstone? Just raise your hand if you've ever been. Bill Indoor, is it amazing? It's an amazing place. I have always wanted to go see Yellowstone. So dad got to go. Dad, were you 12? He's 12 years old. Okay, and he's going with Uncle Ardell. All right, his Uncle Ardell. Aunt Norma. And his cousins, Jimmy and Tommy, his little cousins. All right, now, years later, Dad pulled some great practical jokes on Jimmy and Tommy. All right, and I don't have time to tell you those stories now, but I'll tell you sometime. There's some good ones. I mean, he was, he was relentless to these guys. Just, just teased them and pranked them and practical joked them. It was, it was awesome. And I, now I know why he did it, though. After I tell you this story, you're going to understand why he wanted to pull practical jokes on his cousins. So they're driving to Yellowstone. They're, everybody's excited, going to go see this amazing place. It's an amazing place, Zane. And so they're driving, and, and Uncle Ardell's driving, but then it gets dark, and he's getting tired, and they're somewhere out in Kansas in the middle of nowhere. And he says, Norma, I want you to drive. I'm going to pull over and rest. So he pulls over. She gets in the driver's seat. He immediately gets in the passenger seat and goes to sleep. She gets on the road. They take off. They're driving. Well, he sleeps all night, and he wakes up in the morning to the sun hitting him in the face. Did you hear what I just said? The sun hitting him in the face. Here's Oklahoma. Here's Wyoming. Which direction is Wyoming from Oklahoma? West. Which way does the sun come up? East. She drove five hours the wrong direction. They have to turn around and go back five hours just to get where they started. So they've lost how many hours? Ten hours. So now I start to put this story together. Jimmy and Tommy, my dad's little cousins, ten extra hours in this car already going to Wyoming. Can you imagine that, you know, these two little cousins and they're fussing and they're fighting and my dad's in the middle of it. You know, he's in the middle of them trying to control them. No wonder he pulls all these practical jokes on them when they get older. You know? He's just getting them back for that trip. Guys, listen. We need to make sure we're going the right direction in life. If we're not, it's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us money. It's going to cost us energy. And it's going to be painful. We need to make sure that we're going the right way. Back to our text. Jesus is all alone. In, in this circle, this arena that had been created. Remember, there's this huge congregation around him. Right? Watching this unfold. But now, the Bible says Jesus is alone. The angry mob 
They'd been disarmed and disbanded. And then Jesus looks over at this woman. And it's just him and her. The woman that nobody else wanted to even be around. The woman that everybody else hated. The woman that everybody else was talking about and condemning. And Jesus looked at her and he said, where are your accusers? Has anyone condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Remember, Jesus had been stooped down on the ground. And at this point, he stood up again. And again, just speculate, just to guess. But what if the word written in the dirt said, forgiven? And that message was for her. Forgiven. How do we know that? She confessed him as Lord. She said, no one, Lord. You see, when broken humanity encounters the holy, pure Messiah, there is an awareness of the power and the presence and the sovereignty of God. And she confessed him as Lord. She declared him Lord. And how did Jesus respond to this? Neither do I condemn you. And then he said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. You know, don't misunderstand. When Jesus said he didn't condemn her, he wasn't patting her on the back and just saying, go on your merry way. Live how you want to live. No. Sin is serious to God. Any sin. This sin was serious that she had committed. Jesus said, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to forgive you. Because she turned to him. She professed him as Lord. But then he said, go and sin no more. Change. Turn. Repent. Go a different direction. So guess what? Just like Joseph, we're to flee temptation. Right? We're to flee any temptation that the Satan puts out there. Run if we have to. Go the other way. This woman's physical life had literally been saved. But even more important than that, she was getting the opportunity for spiritual life. This woman was grateful and she was changed. And in the video clip that we watched from the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it shows her unworthy even to stand in Jesus' presence. Now, in the scripture, it says Jesus was kneeling down. The woman was standing. But perhaps as Jesus stood up, and maybe as he said, go and sin no more, maybe she fell to the ground. That's just, that's just, a, that's just a movie. Okay, but the point is it's portraying something powerful. Jesus is Lord. And when we get in his presence, we need to humble ourselves, realizing that he is, he is all that we need in this life. And we owe everything to him. He forgave us and he offers us eternal life so our lives belong to him. And she was overwhelmed by his presence. She was changed. You see, Jesus had the ability and the availability to save her life. You know what? Never did this woman deny she was wrong. We don't see her defending her actions. But she changed and she repented. And he said, go and sin no more. That doesn't mean that she had to be exactly perfect from that point on. But it means she strived to live for the Lord. She was transformed by the grace of God. She was no longer an adulteress. She was a beautiful child of God. And her sins were gone. And God demonstrated his pure and true love to this woman. When we believe Jesus died for us, when we believe he was buried in the tomb and rose again, and when we confess him as Lord and Savior, he forgives us. He transforms us. You see, we turn from our old way of life and we surrender to a new life. And with God's help, we can fight against temptation. 
And our identity is no longer found in our mistakes. Our identity is found in our repentance. And we're children of God. And that's all that matters. That's who we are. Embrace that today. Don't wear your mistakes. Don't, don't walk around with your head down because you messed up and you did something wrong. We've all been there, okay? We're all leveled out. All we need to do is repent and say, thank you, Jesus, for grace. And then extend that to others. That's what we're to be about. Jesus is a life giver. We need to point people to him. So we need to realize the trap's been set. But the truth has been told and proclaimed. And we just need to turn from sin and turn to Jesus. In verse 12, Jesus sums it up to the crowd. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. How powerful is that? Now he turns back to the congregation. I'm the light of life. I am the light of life. So today... If you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you, step out of the dark and get to the light. Get to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Today, he wants you to know that he loves you. There's nothing you can do that he won't forgive if you'll simply turn to him and trust him as your Savior. We're about to have an invitation after I pray. And what I want to ask, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, would you come up here to the altar today? That's bold. That's calling you out. But nobody's going to embarrass you, I promise. We will embrace you. We will pray with you. We will rejoice with you. Because if you are a believer, you know where that person's been because you were there. And you needed a Savior. So we will rejoice and celebrate with you. If you need to come to Jesus today, do it. If you're away from Jesus, you know him, but you've just gotten away from him, come today and reconnect with him. And I'm going to ask us, I'm going to ask believers across this room, will you come today and give thanks to Jesus at the altar? Would you do that? Because here's what I want you to understand. When we have great sins and we are forgiven, we should have great gratitude. So today, let's come to these altars as a body of believers. And with great gratitude, get on our hands and knees and offer thanks to the Lord. And then to commit to give that grace to the world to share the message from the life giver. Father, we love you. I ask right now that you will speak to hearts as only you can. Lord, the word has been proclaimed the invitation is given. And if someone needs to come to right now and receive Jesus as Savior, Lord, you're already dealing with their heart. They know it. The enemy's trying to stop them. Lord, it's warfare. Right now, I ask that you speak to that person's heart and just help them to, to be victorious, to come and get forgiveness and eternal life. We will celebrate with them. Lord, I pray if anyone has drifted from you and they need to reconnect with you, they'll have the courage to come today and pray and offer that up to you. And Lord, I pray that believers across this room will come today and kneel to altar and give great thanks to you and extend your grace to this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And as you stand, would you immediately just step out? Don't even wait. Just come to the altar and let's worship together. Let's give great thanks and gratitude and praise today.